welcome back to the Intentional Wellbeing Podcast. I'm excited because today I'm talking to a close friend of mine, and one of the reasons, one, I would say the one of the key reasons that Yoga for All slash Yoga for Everyone exists. She has been an educator in my life, a beacon in my life, a person I respect, a person that I love, and I, I wanted you all to meet her because without Christine... I, she, will, she will say otherwise, but I'm pretty certain that I wouldn't have the confidence or the knowledge I have today in order to have been able to write yoga for everyone and yoga where you are and to teach the yoga for all training and to feel really confident in a lot of different situations with working with bodies that were that's different than my own. Like, So let me read her bio because she's the best. Christine Qualia is a full-time social worker part-time writer, and she loves to write about what affects all of our lives. Thoughts we have, questions we raise, and the, and the ways in which we can grow and hopefully come to know uh, and to become better so that we can do better. She's also co-authored a children's book called Charlotte Shadow, which we'll talk about, and I'll probably lose my shit when we talk about that, with uh, Dr. Anne DePape. Christine obtained her undergraduate degrees in English and psychology and her master's in social work from the University of Windsor. We have that in common. That's both our alma mater. Christine worked for the Children's Mental Health Program before transitioning back to the University of Windsor, where she has been working since 2007. And she accommodates students (laughs) with a broad range of disabilities. Christine has done a TEDx talk, which I will share in the notes, on language and the perception of disability, as well as written her own personal experience of being born with a congenital neuromuscular disorder that requires her to use a wheelchair and receives various forms of assistance. Her disability has given her firsthand experience with the challenges and opportunities that come with having a visible disability. Christine lives with Charlie, who's adorable, uh, the dog. Uh, they both like to be outside and taking walks. And Christine likes to loves reading a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Welcome to the Intentional Wellbeing Hi. Podcast. Yay! Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <sighs> That's the cheer. That's the cheering of the crowd. Piece well, it's that a was. total mutual admiration society because I feel completely the same way about you, and you changed my life for the better. Continue to change my life for the better. Um, I wouldn't have gotten certified as a yoga teacher without yes! you. You are a certified yoga for all yoga teacher. Bio. Yay! Got to update the bio. <laughs> Yes, we forgot to add that to so, the bio. Um, yeah, like if you hadn't seen me as you did as a mm. whole person mm-hmm. um, and as an opportunity to be embraced rather than a challenge to be avoided mm. or feared, um, mm-hmm. things would look a lot different in my life. So thank mm. you, thank you, thank you to, to you. I appreciate that, Christine. You are a bright light. I have to say... Uh, when you reached out to me, so to give a little story, what yeah. what did you start with the story of how we met? And I'll like just like fill in the details because it was really kind of interesting. And I'll kind of I'll kind of talk about you know how it is that yeah. your email also changed my life. So okay, how do we meet? So it was approximately it was two thousand seven or eight. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, but I was really sort of ending 
what I like to think about as the brain phase of my life. So mm -hmm. I, um, my whole life, like from childhood up until that point, 27, 28 ish, the thing that seemed to get talked about about me the most was how smart I am mm -hmm. and how like I had so much potential, like in terms of my brain, like I, I had a physiotherapist who I loved. She was so great. And she would give me these, like, and I was, you know, I was a, I was a bright child. I was keen. I was, you know, I asked lots of questions. Basically, I, basically the way I am now, but hopefully. But with, little. Yeah, but little. And but like a little kid. Yeah. And hopefully with some degree of improved, like, table manners and social skills <laughs> and things like that. So, and Jill, you know, and it was a source of pride for myself. Yeah. So yeah. I when I would that. go to physio and Jill would give me tasks, I could tell I wasn't getting a very high mark, right? Like, no, yeah. it wasn't because of her. It was because, like, I, I, my body could only go so far as it could sure. go, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and she really picked up on my disappointment more than mm. anything else. And I think... Yeah with the tools she had available to her, which was actually like a kind thing to do. She mm. would, in, in a way she would say, Christine, you have a, you have a great brain. You have a great brain. So that was just like symptomatic of sort of the messaging that on the whole I kind of received. Right. So I was mm -hmm. 27, 28. I was done school, starting my career. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine said to me, um, we would talk about many different things. And one of the things I talked about was um, I, I wanted to exercise more. I wanted mm. to get into better shape. I don't even know if I knew what that meant exactly. I just knew that there had been a certain level of neglect <laughs> in terms of my body. Yeah. Um, and my friend in uh, his infinite wisdom picked up on that and said, why do you neglect your body so much and, and um, hmm. ignore it at the detriment? Cause you know, you're more than a brain, you're yeah. a body and you're a spirit and you're, and it was such an important question in my life. Mm -hmm. And the reason I knew it was important initially was because it hurt me. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah. yeah. And I knew it was because this person cared so much, but I also knew how deeply true it was. And it made me mm. really sad for mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And the reason was because I thought I've got this broken, damaged body that does mm. not work. Mm -hmm. It is not going to improve. I mm. swear to you, I, <clears throat> from the time I eventually refused to go to physio because I'm like, well, if I can't get A's, I'm not going to go to physio, obviously. Uh, that feels yeah. like a waste of my time, um, yeah. which was monumentally childish, but it was okay because I was a child. So. Yeah, and that's where you were at the time, right? That's fair. Yeah, I, I reasoned as best as I could. Um, yeah. And hand to God, from the ages of about, I don't know, early teens-ish until mid to late twenties, I was like school, 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 brain, 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 work, 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 work. It was a very, um, sort of limited 
existence in a sense. Like, you know, there were obviously social experiences and things, but, um, so then when my friend asked me that question, I really started to give it thought and I really Mm -hmm. started to give it consideration. And Mm -hmm. I had always wanted to do yoga. Always. Mm -hmm. I romanticized it. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted things that I could not give language to until in a way, vis-a-vis that question, I was forced to do Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when someone loves you and encourages you and, um, and I think sometimes we really do have to see ourselves through the eyes of people we love and trust before we can, and uh, before we can see what they see, because we, we've covered over it in so much stuff. And that was another thing my friend said, that he was like, there's like this thin layer of crap. And then there's, <laughs> and then there's you, there's, there's, you know, the bright, shiny, and, Light. and yeah. you know, he meant all the, the, the human stuff that we cover mm. over our life mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the self doubt mm-hmm. and the fear and the, the security human right yeah exactly absolutely and so I was like well maybe I can do this and so I wrote to four yoga teachers in the community Mm -hmm. um one of them thank goodness was you and at first it was a scary and quite dispiriting experience because nobody was answering me back oh and then like a little light in the dark it was like and there was your email. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, it blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. I was like, this could be a real thing. And then you were practicing out of um, a church in yes. our town, in our mutual town where we live. Yeah. yeah. I got rid of the pings, but I don't even know what to do about the males. That's so. fine. It's <laughs> it's all good. It's human. It's real. I we don't know what those sounds are. Yeah, we're doing the best we can with what we got. Uh, and what I got in terms of the techie know-how, a little limited. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, so you answered me back, and it was February when we agreed to meet up. Mm-hmm. And it was a warm night in February, so I walked to the church where you were practicing from it was near to my house at the time which is perfect it was was like kismet right all like written in the stars starry solar system (laughs) and we practiced and I was very nervous walking to that class I was very very nervous and I was like and all the thoughts right I was like this is a mistake I'm like I can't what's thinking it because I had all those ideas in my head about what yoga is and what it's supposed to do for a person and how you're supposed to look sort of yeah. Yeah. when you go into it and what's your, what your ability and skill level is supposed to be. And I walked out of that first session with you, a changed person. Aww. I still had my doubts, mm-hmm. not about you at all, mm-hmm. but about me. And I had my feet, but you gave me, um, the courage and the wherewithal, and you were so excited. I I was. You were so excited. I couldn't believe it. You were like, yeah. I was like, oh, is she like happy to be here and happy to be doing this? And <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I, it was such a yeah. different experience yeah. than what I normally. People are like, like no one ever really says it, but you can hear the wheels turning. Like, oh my god, 
what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Like, yeah, we... people wear a lot of that on their face, actually. They do. And you yeah. had like none of it. You weren't panicked. You weren't, you certainly were not like, you were just like, we're going to figure it out. Like, yeah, you weren't, you weren't promising. You weren't like, we're going to get you out of the chair. Yeah. And you're going to be like, doing a headstand doing tomorrow. Because <laughs> that would have been why really and you weren't doing any of that but you were just really excited for the opportunity and you treated me like an opportunity which was such a gift Mm. and like I said it really changed my life I I don't know that I would have started going to a gym I don't know that I would have attempted to ride a bike. I don't know mm-hmm. that I would have committed to any movement in my body without, you know, um, the question that led me to you that opened up everything else, right? So I have to take a deep breath because that that comment is so meaningful to me. And often oh. when I go to... Um, to teach. Like if I go and do a workshop somewhere or a teacher training somewhere, um, I will tell this story. I will say how I had an experience where some, I got an email in my inbox and you outlined what your abilities were and what you were hoping to achieve. And it hurt my heart that nobody else got back to you because you reached out to yoga people in yoga studios And so many people are afraid of what they don't understand. And for me, I want to know, like I want an invitation to learn about what I don't understand. And it is my understanding of yoga that as long as we are breathing and we are conscious of the breath, we are, we are doing yoga. It's, it's a, it's an inside job. It's an, it's an inside look at your soul. It, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really have to do with the physicality, but here in the West, we focus so much of our, um, so much of our attention on the physicality. And to be quite honest, yoga asana in and of itself is the thing that is discriminatory because not all of us can do all of the complicated poses, Mm -hmm. but those of us coming to class, a lot of us can do that breathing and deep internal work. And to be honest, I felt really lucky to have had a yoga teacher training where I had a person in my class who was a single amputee. And because I had been practicing yoga the longest and I was keen. I always got paired up with this person. And so I had to start thinking about, I can't simply say to this person, step your right foot back behind you. and Let's come into a warrior two or whatever, yeah. because that's not available to them. And it was just any opportunity that I can get to learn something new and have an impact to allow somebody to do something that they always wanted to do. I want to show up for that. And that is my yoga journey. And when I met you, I never in a million billion years would have ever thought that our connection, our journey together, which was like three, four five years, I can't even remember now, our journey together um, would have led to an opportunity to start looking at yoga asana and movement in general in a totally different way. And I always want to see people as the wholeness of who they are. And I think as a society, we automatically see people 
uh, who use a chair to get through the world as somehow less than. And when we were talking in the pre-show, which you can catch on Patreon, when we were talking in the pre-show about constant changing body images, it makes me sad to think that our central focus around body image really is steeped in ableism, that we don't see all bodies as good bodies and that everybody has the opportunity and with the, with just with the right teacher and the right outlook and opportunity to come to the mat. So you taught me to my training um, as an Anasara teacher taught me, okay, I can figure this out. She's going to come in here. If I can get her to breathe, if she can move her head, if she can shrug her shoulder, whatever, whatever it is we do together, it's going to be a joyful, intentional movement. And that is going to be Christine's yoga practice. And that's Christine, right? We did what we could do. And I loved that you were open to allowing me to learn. I love that you let me ask questions. I loved that our relationship, I think we were instantly friends. Like you came in, your personality melded with mine. We live in the same neighborhood, which was like, we literally, we live closer now than we did then. Um, Since you've moved, we live closer now. It's not that far either way, but it's either way. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Either way we lived, uh, I think we lived five minutes apart. Now we live three minutes apart, but either way it wasn't that far together. Yeah. And it's, it was just, it was just, you, you allowed me to see you as an opportunity for growth for myself. And I never want to use my teaching as a vehicle for my own personal growth, but sometimes that just happens. And it changed my whole understanding of disability. And I remember not too long ago, I think it was the Ontario government that had all the billboards. It might've been, it also might've been a municipal Mm. thing where they had all the billboards out everywhere that said, see the ability. Right. I remember who that was. I don't who remember. did that. Do you remember seeing those? I do, but I I don't remember where they stem from. Neither do I. I don't remember what that was a part of, what campaign that was a part of, but see the ability. And it always took me back. Every time I would stop at a light and I would see that or I would catch that billboard somewhere, it reminded me of that moment when you and I met because I was looking for I've always said when I've been teaching yoga, we're not focusing on what we can't do. We're focusing on what we can do and seeing if we could make that easier or better or more challenging or more tuned or more intentional. And that's what we're doing. And we're coming back to our breath. Mm -hmm. This is a journey inward. This is not a journey outward. Yeah. And that was really, you said so many important things just now. I mean, as you are, as you are known for doing, it's very on brand for you. (laughs) But one of the, you know, important things you said was about, you know, the opportunity that I gave you and you gave me an opportunity too, because to see myself through eyes other than my own Mm. as again, an opportunity to be embraced rather than a problem to be solved or a problem to be solved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It forced me in a positive way to begin the process of seeing myself mm. that way too. Yeah. Because I mean the the lives we have and the relationships we have with ourselves are, are with ourselves are so important. 
But yes. they, we don't exist in isolation. We don't. Exactly. We're, we're relational beings. Yes. And we're wired for connectivity. Mm-hmm. And when you see yourself, and, and some of it was explicit that I experienced, and some of it was more implicit. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, just going to veer off course for a second. Of I'm course. Thinking. I love veering off course. It's my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> the path not taken. <laughs> yeah. Just for off. Yeah. Trackless. Forget getting off track. There's not even one. Um, there isn't one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this psychologist, um, Phil Stutz, who I think I've mentioned to you mm-hmm. and his documentary on Netflix, um, done by freaking pineapple express, Jonah Hill of all people interesting I know. I know I'm like what is happening right now but it's the most <laughs> beautiful documentary and I've read his books ever since and he says and it's it's true like 80 90 percent of communication is nonverbal. oh yes yeah what we don't say and what we don't hear mm-hmm. and so when you're having all of these things either explicitly or implicitly told to you and there's a value judgment attached to it and your mm. body is less valuable, like mm. my mind was very valuable. If right. it, was, it was like insuring JLo's legs. It was like better get some insurance on this sucker. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Your uh, big, your big ass brain needed uh, to be insured. Yeah, big ass brain. And it doesn't have to be all both. Like, right. You know, I can be smart and also have a body that doesn't operate according to this manual that I don't know who made it up, but apparently it doesn't measure up to that. And so when there's value judgments that are told to you in myriad of different ways, you start to feel the fear that other people feel Mm. and you start to um, feel the lack of value that other people are implying or just full on saying that you don't have. And when you were talking, I I couldn't help but think about this as well. Like think about how we judge bodies. Mm -hmm. It's like we judge everything else. We judge them according to productivity. Yeah. But what can your body do? What can it not do? And the body is a miraculous thing. It blows my mind that people can climb mountains. And, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Me too. A, a friend of mine also said to me once, and this is only funny because it's true. It's a hundred percent true. They said, <laughs> they said, listen, if you weren't born needing a wheelchair, you were probably going to end up in one. And I'm like, that is accurate. And I'm going to tell you why. Wow. I would have been doing some type of, I'm a physical person. I am a, ironically, a hugely, so I would have been like, oh, there's like a mountain to attempt to scale. Okay. All right. I'm going to zip line through the Amazon. That sounds like a thing I want to do. Would there have been the planning required involved to not hurt myself in some (laughs) potentially catastrophic way? You wouldn't have done it. I would like to say yes, but I can't say that, which is why what makes my friend said makes it hilarious because there is at the very least an element of truth in it. But the, mm. but the thing is like, I still want to do those things. Yes. I just 
can't in conventional ways. So I do yes. what I can with what I have. But the yes. value judgments placed on my body are, yeah, but what can it do? Oh, mm. you can't do that? Mm. You lost a point. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. you can't, you know, and it's it's in ways big and small, right? Yeah. From how I'm able to chop food to whether or not I can actually zip line or surf or do whatever. like Which you can. It's just not in the way that those of us who don't move through the world with a chair can. And why is there, why is, why is there more value on a body that doesn't need a chair than a body that does or needs crutches or needs any other mobility, modern technology for modality, right? Like, I just think the world needs to change around that. It does. But I, I, you know, I hope that it will. I don't know that. But, but again, I mean, like, so but I mean, my own father would not let me take adaptive horseback riding lessons because he anticipated something disastrous happening. Oh, really? <laughs> he knew me too. He was like, mm-hmm. he's like, that is not going to end well with this one. I'm like, oh I'm my like, goodness! I know. Yeah, th- I thank you for saving me from myself. I do. <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, you know, and I was saying this to another friend one time. I was like, you know what? I want to do all these things, and I can't. Yes. And this friend said to me, um, the desire has to count. The intention yeah. has to count. Yeah. And the effort put behind it. So I'm not ziplining. I'm not riding a horse. I'm not surfing. But I do lots of other things that, in some people's estimation, I have no business doing at all. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning now that that's okay. And I don't want to be measured in any realm of my life, a physical realm, an intellectual realm, a spiritual realm. I don't want to be judged by what I can do. I want to be judged by who and what, well, I mean, nobody wants to be judged at all, but you know what I'm trying to yeah. say. Um, yes. Yeah. I want to be considered and thought of according to who and what I am, not what none of us should be valued or devalued or evaluated in any way by what we can do. Doing doesn't have to do with being doing has to do with doing. I'm giving you finger snaps because that, (laughs) yeah, because that is a hundred percent the truth, but we are stuck in this kind of ableist world where everything is like you said, measured on productivity. And as we're moving into a new year, I'm always interrogating myself about, okay, why do I believe this? And, Mm. you know, why does society believe this? And, you know, how can I disrupt this pattern of thought? And I, I never understood everybody's fear around disability, right? That it's just, it's part of life. You know, it happens. A friend of mine once said um, that, disability the disability club is the only club that's always accepting new members and the disability yeah, and the disability club if you if you learn if you live long enough we'll all become part of the club and that's the two things this yeah. person has said to me and if you're thoughtless enough in activity planning you will also probably become part of, part of that yeah part of that community and you, you need to get on board honestly sign up early yeah <laughs> time's running out yeah yeah. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, it's it's 
know, people who don't think that anything will ever, and listen, we should all do what we can to enhance our health. Of course. I gypped myself out of, because I devalued my body so hard. Mm. I robbed myself of time that I will never get, get back. back. Yeah. Um, and that's on me. And it's also not on me because I trusted the world more I yeah. think, at the time. And in I trusted what I was being told. Yeah, um, for sure. So we all have a responsibility to think about our health and think yeah. about what we're going to do to preserve that. But what mm-hmm. we don't have a responsibility toward is someone who thinks, oh, you can sort of do that thing, but you can't do it the way I've seen it on TV or in career. I don't owe that person anything. anything really? No. no. Um, and they're entitled to their understanding of the world just as I am entitled to mine. And, um, you know, like I use the word walk. I, I heard myself using it in this podcast. I use it when I speak. I use it when I write. It was a real discrepancy that I, I um, caught myself thinking of, like I, I found myself thinking about it after I caught myself saying it. Right. And then I thought, but is it a discrepancy, really? Like, who decided that walking means exclusively ambulation using two legs, which of which you were born with, mm-hmm. as opposed to using one leg? If you are someone mm-hmm. with, are are you walking less because you're you're down a limb? Am I walking less because? I use a mobility aid to help me achieve what I use a wheelchair to help me achieve what other people achieve in what is considered a more natural way. So that really got me thinking about language and how we use it and how it can be weaponized and how it can be, um, but how it also needs to be rethought because I am walking in the ways that are available to me. Yeah. I'm doing it just like I am doing yoga in the ways, ways that are available to me. And I won't ever meddle in a marathon. I won't ever. And but you could if you wanted to. I could. I yeah. could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won't. I don't want to, but you could. Maybe I will. Some. I don't know. Maybe. But what I'm saying well, is you're, yeah. my point was in a conventional sense. Sure. I will yeah, yeah. not, you know, we see the images of people running across bridges yeah. and running through yeah. New York City. And it's a thrill. And it's not yeah. to minimize anybody else's achievement or accomplishment at all. Mm-hmm. I will not participate in those things in those conventional ways. And if mm-hmm. and when I ever do participate and do get my thanks for coming out medal, um, it won't make everybody me- gets those at a marathon, just so you know. I know. <laughs> I, I, might, I don't know if I want one. It's, that's a conversation for that's a that's a ten years from now podcast. Yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah we'll for sure, a- for sure. But the difference is, I won't see it as less of an achievement mm-hmm. than I I would have in my. I would have been like, why could I? Why would I even bother doing that? Because it's not going to mean as much as someone who's doing it 
on their own two legs, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, but it's an ongoing daily practice to undo. Yes. It's that inside job that you were talking about of which yoga is such an integral part that yes. you undo all the teaching. Yes. And you know, I call it brainwashing. That also applies. <laughs> and, and we do, and we do fear that which we don't understand. Like, in that, and we, and we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. And I'll never forget, mm-hmm. you know, like you were talking about the training that goes on, like what you were trained about in terms of disability. And it was like yes. scary business. It's like, what the hell? Yes. Um, and you were taught to fear it, right? Yes. And I realize now more and more, I was taught that in terms of race. I'll never forget. Right. You and I were at dinner mm-hmm. and I, I don't remember the context. I wish I did, but we were talking about something related to race. And I said, oh, well, I never think about that. And you in a pointed, but good friend way, calling me to my own attention said, well, white people never have to. And I was like, Dun, 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 dun. new things to learn like, about myself yeah damn. and then I was like oh god that is so gross because it's so right and it's so true but oh and it was it had to do I said you know if I see a situation of, of racism where someone's mm-hmm. being embarrassed or someone's being like whatever I feel like I don't have the right to say anything because I don't want to make the situation worse for the person and you said say something Yes. Bring it bring it up because that yes. is your own fear. Yes. Versus what's right what is right, period. And that really, really, really did call myself to my own attention. So I, mm. I thank you for that because it was a big eye opening thing. And you know, I thought that, you know, racism was actively um slurring people or, yeah. or or actively opposing you know um interracial marriage or or whatever yeah. the case may be yeah. and from that moment i have learned not all the things i need to know not even close but i've learned that it is so much more nuanced than that, than that. i think and because we- we don't talk about it a lot in school or in situations or people generally don't have friends that look different from them because we tend to de facto segregate, right? Like you feel comfortable hanging out with folks that look like you. I feel comfortable in hanging out with folks that look like me. And perhaps we don't, if we are in the majority of the population, perhaps we don't have access to meeting people who are different than we are. And if our parents have never had this conversation or we haven't called ourselves into our own attention to actually unpack it and look at it, we'll never see it because it doesn't directly affect us. And that limits our growth as human beings and it, it keeps us from each other learning about other. Yeah. From yeah. learning about other culture. Uh, yeah. So I think that kind of only tells half the story because I can be hanging out with someone who looks very different than me mm-hmm. and are just as or more disabled than I am. Because the same friend who asked me that question tells me often, you're the least disabled person I know. And I said, 
what do you mean by that? And I, they said, because you, what does it mean that you're in a wheelchair? That doesn't make you disabled. That's a label that gets assigned to you that suggests something lacking, but in the ways that matter in your heart, in your mind, in your, you're not lacking a thing. You're this bright, shiny being. Agreed. Oh, thank you. And it meant so much, again, coming from person and now people, you, um, that I love and trust so much. But it also made me rethink, what does it mean to be disabled? Is someone who could engage as people did in the slave trade or in Nazi Germany, or I'm sure their physical functioning was uh, fully intact the way we have decided it has to be in order to not be categorized as disabled. But are they not not functioning in some way? I would argue that they are. They are. And so that was that whole, you're the least disabled. And that's an extreme example. Obviously, there are lots of people who do, you know, maybe less egregious forms of harm, but harm nevertheless, right? And so I think we need to really, and I have thought about this ever since this person said that to me, what does it mean to be disabled? Mm -hmm. What does Mm -hmm. that mean? Mm -hmm. And how, you know, how do we determine that? And what I'm coming to realize through research I'm continuing to do like scholarly research I continue to work on and and also just sort of personal development is it's an arbitrary thing it's a yeah it's an arbitrary label that that determines yeah yeah, somebody decided somebody decided these people because they don't function like these people even though they're equally functioning in society just in a different way get labeled a certain way and we can assign judgments a certain way. Like the amount of people that see you using a chair to navigate through life and talk to you like you have um, a, a cognitive- neurodiverge, yeah, a cognitive impairment or, or, or a neurodivergent in some way. Why do you automatically assume because somebody moves through the world in a chair that they also have a cognitive disability and it would or a bad thing if that were the case but it's not yes. the case <laughs> so yeah it's like, like why um, do you automatically assume though well because we have structures in society that are indicative of certain things like you know yes. even if we want to sort of think about this in terms of race or whatever mm-hmm Someone who is of a different race than someone who presents as white, as I do, uh, somehow in the in the scheme of things, in the hierarchy of things, mm-hmm. that person is less than I am. Like, yeah, I got... Right, white supremacy, woo-woo. What's that? White supremacy, woo, wins right. again, yeah. woo-woo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like all things... Race is a construct at the end of the day. There are, you know, 
biological, physiological differences that make us look different from one another. But the performance of race and the subsequent performance of racism are, and and not, I'm not suggesting, you know, I'm performing disability or someone else is performing, but there is a performative aspect to functioning in society. Right. We yeah, might, totally. we, 100%. even because of how we're conditioned, we either fall down or up to certain tropes or stereotypes that are yes. posed upon. Yes. Right. You yes. Know, yeah. And even in terms of gender, women are, you have to perform, you know, maybe mm-hmm. being bigger than you are mm-hmm. or a little softer than you yeah like yeah, yes you know all the bullshit so gender stereotype there's an aspect to performance which then yeah. leads to the performance of sexism and it, it yeah. it's all performance and it's yes. and a, a, so much it's all ego driven right yes yeah and if we were to strip yes. that away there are undeniable differences between all of us because each of our stories are so unique and each of our experiences yes. are so unique. Like, no, yes. offense, I don't want to be the same as anybody else. Okay. Like, I, why would you though? Nobody would. Right. Nobody. Yeah. You know, we're here to write our own tickets and tell our own stories and do our own things. But, you know, we perform sameness for the sake of safety and it makes yes. it easier than to other somebody else. Well, yes bad but they're worse you know what i'm saying like right there yeah and it's it's very very bizarre it's incredibly bizarre when you sort of step back and peel back all of the layers we're in the ways that count we're the same yeah we're the same yeah and everything else is performative to an extent performative and a way to categorize people so that some people feel superior and feel justified in treating people who look different from yep. themselves as less than. And I wish that people could come to that understanding. One thing that you mentioned that really always, whenever I hear the word stereotype, I always like to unpack it in some kind of way. And one thing I heard from... I'm blanking on who said it, but uh, somebody that I really respect. I'm trying to figure out where I heard it. But um, that stere- it's not the thing that stereotypes aren't true, because some stereotypes are true. It's just a singular story. It tells one story, and it groups everybody into that one story, right? And that's the problem. That's the problem, that people have many stories and the story that you tell yourself that allows you to dehumanize someone else Mm -hmm. is a story that you need to unpack for yourself you have a really good saying explicit language coming up here adult language coming up here warning warning adult language (laughs) fix your fucked (laughs) is a christine saying credit for that I know you heard it somewhere. I heard it from you. My friend's my friend's wife said it. My friend's wife, yeah, fix your fucked. Just and I'm like, <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed somewhere on my person because yeah, like, yeah. You know, if I can suddenly look at somebody else 
and say, you are inherently less than I am. And that gives me the right to vilify you, you. to dehumanize you, to other you, to see your life and yourself and feel as though I can do whatever I want with that life Mm. itself. You know who that Mm -hmm. says nothing about? That person. You know who that says everything about? Me. You. Yeah. Yeah. Fix your fucked, girl. Fix your fucked. Because it's not, you know, and that is an inside job Job. of which, you know, I think as we've already said before, yoga is such, um, it's a very uncomfortable part. Yes. You're doing it right. Yeah, very important part. And before we came on the air, we were talking about having a rich interior life. And I was saying, I've always felt that I've had one ever since I I was an only, I'm still an only child, obviously, but I was an only child. And I had a very rich interior life that could also be incredibly uncomfortable. And I think we are Mm. taught to stay removed from ourselves and subsequently other people. Mm-hmm. I would agree. We, because if I would we agree. fear ourselves, how can you not fear other people? If mm. you are not safe in your own self and in your own skin and in your own life, it is yeah. impossible to really feel safe. With other people. Especially when we encounter difference, whatever. Right. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't even know what that means exactly, but I mean, I. I mean, we're different. We're different people, yeah. and we have different yes. experiences and different stories. But I'm talking about that inherent difference that allows you to uh, enslave someone, or lead them to a gas chamber, or murder them, or um, assault or violate them in some other way. That's the kind of um, separation that I'm talking about when I think about that. That makes sense. That makes sense. To slightly shift gears, okay. I want to I want to talk about Charlotte Shadow, oh. and I want to try and talk about it without losing my shit. It's okay, you. Uh, it could yeah. help sales. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the awesome book. I bought seven copies uh, during the holidays, and I gave them out to like my my nephew uh, who's six. He's going to be seven next month. Um, my friend's children, I gave it out to adults because the story is so beautiful. I think it's been out there long enough that we can talk a little bit about yeah. what the, the story is about. Yeah. Tell me how you came to write Charlotte's Shadow and maybe give us a brief synopsis of what it's about because it, it speaks to what we're talking about. It speaks to, to disability for sure. So, yeah. So my friend, thank you so much, by the way, for championing this book, not through um, your purpose of it. it, but through social media and of a million other means that you have provided us. You've done videos for us. You've just been incredible. So thank Aww, you. Thank you. I love the book. It speaks to me. And well, when you talk about it and I lose my shit, then okay. we'll talk about why it, it speaks to me. Sounds like a plan. Uh, sounds like a plan. So you're like, let me get the let me get the book. Um, so it really, this book has been about 20 years in the making. So my co-author and I, Dr. Anne-Marie DePape, we met in university. We met in the top of the student center. Any U Windsor alum from the late nineties, early two thousands will know what I'm talking about. 
I was there in the early 90s, so you were there when they had the new student center. It was building while I was there. Well, it was, uh, there was, like, a top floor, and there were vending mm. machines, like, vending, uh, like, vending machines, like, a pay phones, the whole thing. I can't. Right. I can't, and that quiet room in there where people were napping <laughs> during, um, for, during, uh, exam week everybody was up there so i was like on my way to a professor's office hours it was a challenging class child psychopathology and i um um saw amory she i hope she's okay with me telling this she always wore an orange baseball cap from old navy i can't believe she got rid of it i asked her a few weeks ago i'm like where's your orange baseball cap she's like i don't even know i'm like oh my god that was a classic piece I'm like, if we ever have like, you get rid of yeah, it. like, where is that going to be for the archives, right? But yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things. So, so um, I knew she was in my class because I recognized the hat and I said, hey, what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm studying. I'm like, yeah, me too. I said, I'm actually going to the prof's office hours because I don't know what's going on. She's like, oh, that's a good idea. And I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll let you know what she says. And we exchanged numbers and 20 years later, 20 plus years here later, we here we are. Um, and one of the things we, we bonded over was disability. Amory went on to um, get her PhD in psychology, um, and particularly with a focus on autism and children with autism. Oh, um, okay. So disability has always played a role in her life. Um, and obviously, it's played a different role in mine. Um, but it was just something that always kind of bonded us and that we talked about and we thought about and sort of, I don't, we used to go for really long walks along the Ganache trail and get slinkies and talk about, you know, like slinkies is ice cream in case right. you were wondering. And that's yep. an important aspect. Yes. Ice cream. <laughs> and you know, we would talk about life and solve the world's problems as only you can do when you're 20 years old. And yes. one of the things we would talk about is, you know, we should write a children's book one day. And, you know, life gets, you know, you're, you're going to school and you're starting a job and a career and yeah, getting married life. and buying houses yeah. and doing all these things. So life gets in the way. Right. But then COVID happened mm-hmm. and we had run out of bread making and other projects that we could be <laughs> uh, sourdough starting. Yeah, that we could be yes. and it, it was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? And it was like, I think I said something like, Hey, why don't we write that book? We have the time. And Amory was of course game and on board. And so we write, wrote this book about a very special girl um, who is special because of who she is as a person and not because she happens to have as a disability. And that was of critical importance to both of us. Um, Our main character, Charlotte, just like all of us, is a person first. Yeah, She is not her whatever we've decided a disability means. She's not her gender, whatever we've decided it means to be a girl. Um, she's right. not, you know, she's not any of those constructs that we impose upon ourselves and each other. She is a person first who happens to have a disability and who happens to require um, a service dog, which in this, which is a sort of surprise twist at the end of the book, Uh, but it has been out long enough. So I don't think I'm giving anything away at this point. It's been out since July. Um, Shadow is her service dog, but Shadow doesn't see Charlotte as someone he is serving or working for. 
Here's her. Here's where the tears come. Uh, okay. <laughs> he, uh, he sees her as she is. He mm-hmm. sees her as an extraordinary person. And we all need someone in our life who does that for us because we are, again, we're wired for connection. And that's why when my friend emphasizes to me, you're the least disabled person I know. It's not a denial of my disability. It's an acknowledgement of my personhood first. Oh my God. Can we put that on a (laughs) t-shirt? And it was, it was a huge moment in my life and a healing moment in my life. And when shadow sees Charlotte as the superhero and Charlotte loves superheroes and shadow sees her as a superhero. She's not a child who needs his assistance. She is this extraordinary person because she is, Mm. and she happens to have a disability, whatever that means. We can't get into the, all the weeds of language, all the things that it, you know, says and doesn't say, but, um, and so we're so proud of this book because yes, it's a book about a child with a disability and a service animal, but more than that, it's a book that any child, any family, any classroom should be interested in having on their shelves because it's a book about love, about friendship and about inclusion Mm -hmm. and about representation. And I don't know about you. Well, I think I do, but I, I, I don't want to speak for you is what I should have said. But for me, and I don't think your experience was too different as a kid growing up in the eighties, in your case, it would have been a bit earlier in the seventies. Yeah. And I love to read. Okay. Like that is yeah. my jam over the pandemic. I read like 300 books. That's amazing. I'm very jealous. That's my inward. Remember yeah. we talked about it at the top of the show, how we spend a lot of time in our heads. That's the best way I can spend time. In it's the best it's way I can calm my anxiety. And I was so yeah. anxious, particularly during that first year of the pandemic. Um, yeah. When we didn't know what we didn't so know. So every moment that I was anxious, which was many of them, I was like, time to read again. So I was like, a couple of yeah. books. Let me find a book I've been meaning yeah, to read. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, but I've always been that way. I was the kid reading the grocery receipts in the car. Like I needed to, I needed this. Um, yeah. But I did not see myself in the pages of those books. Of books. I, I understand that. And so, right. And so I think that was always sort of in the back of my mind about how important it is to feel and be seen. Mm. But it's interesting because mm-hmm. friends of mine, whenever they dream about me, my one friend in particular has told me this, um, a few friends have, but um, she was the first person I think to tell me this. And she, whenever she dreams about me and we always cry about it when she tells me about this because she, I'm never in a wheelchair. And that's a different thing. That is your unconscious. That's your spirit allowing you to strip away all the crap of the world mm-hmm. and see someone as they are. And that's why it's so as moving, right? Again, that's it's not a really denial funny. of the presence of it, of whatever we've decided to disability is, but it's an acknowledgement of the, the person and that person. 
personhood, their humanity. And my friend doesn't need to be dreaming in order to do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be friends. That would be really weird. But like, right, right. <laughs> but right, the right, dream right, allows right. access to that site, right? Yes. And so the book, and part of, you know, yes, we wanted it to have the su- surprise ending, but we also wanted to establish her as a person before the sight and the judgment of the world could be placed upon what it means to be a child who uses a wheelchair and has a service dog. We wanted to establish her as a person first. Um, yeah. I, whenever I read the book and whenever I talk about the book, I have to catch myself because every time uh, I see myself in Charlotte and that's all that anybody wants is to be seen for the wholeness of who they are. So when I read the book and I saw the surprise ending, which I kind of anticipated because I know who you are, it was really important to me as a person to understand those, to be seen beyond the difference because I don't, you know, look like everybody around me and that, that, that I'm still a person, right? I'm a person first and I happen to be a black person. Do you know what I mean? I'm a person And I first. think what the best thing, the you know, the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts is we can give ourselves is to, if we're lucky enough, as I have been, mm-hmm. be, and be reminded that difference is imposed upon us. And to, and then to turn around and remind ourselves that inherently I am not different from the person who's zip lining in a more conventional way. I, you're not different from the blonde haired white woman who you're, you're undoubtedly treated differently as I have been, but inherently on the inside where true value lies. And if people remembered that on a more regular basis, we would have far less problems in the world than we do. Um, There is not, in terms of the star stuff, the star seeds that were all planted inside all of us, they're not different. The way we show up in the world and the experiences through which you know, this, whatever larger force might be out there is, is experiencing through us are going to be different. Yes. But we are not different in any way that matters at all. all. And you're catching me on a good day. So others, I'd be like, so different than everyone else. What's the same for me? Yes. So you're catching me on a good Friday. Hot on a good Friday. Um, but <laughs> on a Friday that we're fully connected to who we are, right? right? It's a good, it's a good day to talk about, but it's really hard to come to that knowing and understanding when you don't see yourself anywhere. Right. And when you don't see yourself represented, whether it's in children's literature, whether it's in mainstream media, whether it's in, you know, um, popular culture, if you don't see yourself, it's very hard to develop that 
that inner sense of knowing. And our illustrator, Kenzie Edge, did the most beautiful job. Um, she's illustrated a second book for us as well. Not a, not a, not a Charlotte's Shadow. Not yet. Anyway, that's that's a future thing. It's coming. It's coming. Don't rush. It's coming. I feel it. Um, Don't rush it. Nope. Everything in right. its own time. But this is a second book that our imprint, Little Books Press, has acquired, and we're getting ready to put it out in the world, uh, hopefully soon. Um, so, but our illustrator, Kenzie Edge, did an amazing job because she inherently understood we were not trying to hide the fact that Charlotte has a disability. It's not that it was something to yeah. be ashamed of. So, she, you know, no. she was, Charlotte was very strategic in the pages of the book. So you wouldn't see the wheelchair until closer to the end, right? Right. But right. it wasn't a hiding out of shame. It was a hiding to preserve a twist, uh, you know, a, a, yeah. a, a literary yeah. twist. It was also yeah. to let, give Charlotte the chance. To be a person. To be a person. And imagine yeah. if we all gave each other that chance. And, a chance. And that's what makes the book so beautiful and universal. Mm. It's not mm. It's not just a book for children with disabilities or families who experience disability. It's a book for anyone. For everybody. It's not even a children's book, to be honest. It's a book for adults, too. Yeah, there is some sophistication to the message. I can. It, it absolutely. It's a joyful book. It's Thank a beautiful you. book. It's a it's a it's a dream book. It's something that is so necessary. And I always try to keep a couple extra copies Thank around you. so that it, if I see somebody who I, I think needs to to hear this story, Here's a book. I think everybody needs to hear the story, but sometimes people are having really difficult times. I'm like, you got to read this book. You're the best cheerleader. The will blow your You're mind. like cheerleader extraordinaire, man. You really are. I, I, you know what? We are all in this together. As much as we are, we really are. Some of us are going to have to come about it in a wholly different yeah. way. But if I have an opportunity to amplify or or to draw attention to something that I think is really important. Isn't that my job as a human being to support other human beings? Isn't, isn't that what I'm here for, for that human connection? And I've been very fortunate to have a very big platform in order to do this. And why shouldn't I share that? I certainly didn't get here by myself. You're a big part of how I got here. Why wouldn't I want to elevate everybody who has helped me around along the way? It takes a village, right? To do anything, not to raise a child, but to really do anything. And I really wish we could see the humanity more in each other and realize that we we have to be cheerleaders for each other. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we even doing? And it's, I think it's so great that you recognize that, but it's also why it hurts so much when other people don't. Don't. You know, and it's why, you know, when a representational book like Charlotte's Shadow comes up, it hits, it hits hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because that recognition is so, it shouldn't be, but it's quite rare. You yes. know? Yes. We have a lot of work to do as human beings. Yeah. And I, 
I'm a hopeful person in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but something that's made me sad as I've gotten a little older is, <laughs> um, reality set in. Oh, <laughs> reality fights, really man. It does. Wasn't there a movie called that? It's true, though. Yeah, it's true. And it's true. That's why we like to live in our heads, Christine. Because the reality within my head is fabulous. It's a very hopeful place. It is. I eat a lot of cotton candy in there. <laughs> you have like a Katy Perry video up there. You're just like cotton candy clouds and stuff. No, but I, I, just, I do. I have hope for change. And I have hope for people who are willing to do the work that it takes. Yeah. And who are willing to own what they don't do well and what they don't know and what they, and I will mess that up a hundred percent. Everybody will. We're yeah. human beings. Nobody's ever going to get this a hundred percent right. We're not always going to use the right language. We're not always going to be fully aware. We're not always going to be fully conscious. Um, we're going to say the wrong things. We're going to step into it, step in it. But if we own that as human beings and and first of all, make the apologies where you need yeah. to, like own your shit, fix say, fucked. you know, if you fix your fucked and then learn from that and move on, that's the point, right? Instead of digging in I, and becoming defensive and not understanding yeah. what you've done. I think, I think right? people have within them though, um, a fear of their own darkness and if yeah, other people's darkness sure. as well. Because I don't know what, I have some thoughts on why <laughs> I have perfectionist tendencies that we don't need to discuss right now, but this is a podcast yeah, yeah. Day, you, sure. you can have me, but I'll circle back someday. You can have me back on some other day and less people are like, no, never next, next book. Um, yeah. But I think we're afraid. I think I think it's safe to say that fear drives most hate and it also drives most yeah. indifference. I think yes. when we're yes. afraid, like I know for me, my perfectionist tendencies are like, oh my gosh, if I say the wrong thing, I will not be forgiven. And yeah. so that leads yeah. me to either say or do worse things or to say or do nothing at all. At all. Um, yeah. Because we yeah. can't, love that which we don't trust mm. and so if i don't so i you mentioned at the top like I, i'm i'm a writer i'm a very prolific um unpublished writer except in the children's literature world at least at this point we'll see how that right um, as long as you're still alive things can always change that's the plan girl so um no, but it's it's not true that I'm unpublished. Like some of my work um, is available on Medium and and other and magazines within Medium and places like that. But I wrote a piece a while ago, and I was talking about you know the concept of Namaste, which is oh, sort yeah. of becoming something not to be utilized anymore. But I'm just going to reference it for the point I'm about to make. So namaste, we, we were traditionally taught it means, you know, the divine light in me sees the divine light in you. That's 
that's still correct. that's still correct but you know the the co-opting of it is not yes that's, that's the, the issue. issue and what yeah. i argue in this piece that i wrote was we need a counter concept to that so i came up with nama stark and what nama stark meant to me and continues to mean to me is the divine light and in me honors and trusts the divine darkness in me too Ah, because wow. if I can't trust huh. both, I can't trust either one, yeah. and I, then I can't love mm. both, but then I also can't love that in other people, which makes mm. unforgiving wow. and bring unforgiveness yes. back to me. And it's mm. something I probably fail more than I succeed, but I want to try to remember that. So if I do mess up, which I inevitably will, I can trust other people enough to offer me the, the grace to make that mistake and the grace to learn from that mistake. That's right. That's right. Because there will be mistakes. And again, circling back to Phil Stutz. I love that man, obviously. Um, he talks about a shadow self. Yes. And we have yes. this idea that we have to pack our shadow away and hide it because it's not pleasing. It's not, it's a shadow, right? Like they can be a little bit scary. Yeah. And Phil's point, like I know him, you know, Phil, who I've never <laughs> um, Dr. Stetz's point is no you bring the shadow into the room with you yeah. because the more you leave it outside the more it fights to come in and then you're no yeah. longer present because you're like shut mm. up quit knocking at the door shut up leave us alone Like, and he likened alone. it because I, I guess I don't know if he works with a lot of people in entertainment I think or whatever that when they would say to him, when I left my shadow outside of the audition room, I did a piss poor job. Oh. Because I was focused on keep it out, keep it out, keep it out. Don't let it in. But if I integrated yeah. it into all the other parts of me and just let it be there as much as I would let my light in, then I was okay. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's brilliant. I think that's a great place to end our conversation today because I think you and I could chat for years oh. because I really, yeah, I really love where you're going with this. One last question before we oh. wrap. What do you do for intentional well-being? How do you take care of yourself? What does it mean to you? It's a very new idea to me yeah. um i think i've been doing it for a while like since i sent that email to you so like all those years ago mm -hmm. and that was you know something i really wanted to touch on and i, I do want to answer your last question because i don't actually want to keep you forever even though probably feel i do <laughs> but i love it. um what you said about teaching me and others about what movement actually is and what yoga actually is. It was such a beautiful full circle moment for me when I was in yoga teacher training with you. Mm. 
because you talked about that again. You said that phrase again, as long as you're breathing, you can do yoga. And that got me right in the feels because I was like, she said that to me like the first time we met and here she is walking the walk. Mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, obviously so proud of you, but proud of myself as well for reaching out to you in the first place and allowing myself thanks to you. But there had to be some agency on my part to live into Mm -hmm. that full circle moment where the woman who taught me was now teaching me how to teach. And it just, I can't like, I can't. I was so thrilled when you reached out to me and said, something is calling me to this teacher training and I don't know if it's going to be right for me. I don't know if it's the right time. And and you had a little bit of doubt and I'm like, it is. Yeah. The fact that you reached out says to me that you are ready. Yeah. But whenever I have doubt, you're just like, get to the front of the room, like the hot yoga stuff. Oh yes. I was not having it before we go back to, Oh, absolutely. So part of our intentional well-being practice before I would say COVID is Friday night. They had like, I don't remember. It was just like a Friday night flow class. And I wasn't a hot yoga person at the time, but Christine wanted to go to hot yoga. And I'm like, oh, you want to go to, she'd say, do you want to go to yoga class with me? And I'm like, yeah, great. Oh, we're going to go to Moto. And I'm like, hot yoga. Oh, I love the heat. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yes. No, I want to go to yoga. And now just sorry to interrupt, but the roles have reversed. I cannot go back to hot yoga now because it's too the, hot. Well, and the germophobia, um, right. I get COVID it. Has yes. really, and that's going to lead me to one more anecdote that I do want to share before I answer your final question. But yeah, you finish with this one yeah. first. So we roll up to, uh, I say roll up because I drove there. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't actually walk there, which we could. Like, it's close enough in our neighborhood that I could. And often Everything's do, close in our neighborhood. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a small town. And so uh, I, I get to the Moto Studio. First thing I noticed is your van is completely open, but you're not in it. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what happened here. Let me just go to the front. You're in the front. You're chatting. And we get all ready, put our stuff away in the locker. And then you, my friend, try to situate yourself in the back of class. And as a yoga teacher, I can't do that. Okay. For one, I'm looking at everybody else's practice. I'm wondering why somebody's not coming around and giving people instruction on their form or whatever. Plus, I I have I was not gonna have you step to the back of the room and pretend or and believe of yourself that you didn't have a right to be in this space. That is how I read it when you went to the back of the room. I went hmm? I was like that was not wrong. Is that what you said? I was like, how no, no, no. And you would say stuff like me, well, what if people can't see? And I'm like, well, that's their problem. Like, we are gonna roll up to the front of the room. We are and when I say roll up, I mean roll up. I gotcha. Roll it's up. Fine. Like that's a, you know what I mean? roll. We're good here. Like okay. roll into the front of the room. Yes. I mean like me and my homies, which was you and your other friend whose name I can't remember in the moment. Right. But we went right up to the front of yeah. the room. And right in the middle, center, front. And your whole thing is, what What about the people behind me? Who cares, right? You have a right to be at the front of the room. You have a right to participate in this class. And you sure as shit are not going huh. to the back of the room. I said, I'm not rolling. I don't roll like that. But here's and the so thing. we were up front. lesson I've learned since then, okay? I'm going to tell you what that yeah. is. 
there's a difference between taking up space with a with a capital S and sucking all the oxygen out of the room. Absolutely. And I used to conflate the two. I thought, oh my God, if I go to the front, people aren't going to be able to see. And it's going to suck all the oxygen out of the room, whatever. And then you're like, mm-mm. And I was like, oh. So I'm realizing I can take, take up, up space. space without yes. taking up space. You know what I mean? I do. Without sucking all the energy mm. out of the room and constantly being the center of attention. Yeah. But I... I wanted to show people in that space that everybody belongs in that space because in that particular studio by, I don't know, by design or maybe by no fault of their own, I can't speak to that. There's a, a perception, right? There's It's like a yummy, mummy, Lulu, Gymshark kind of situation. And I want people to see that this is not it. That's not why we're here. Yeah. And I don't right? know, you know, whether it's that space or another space, like, I don't yeah. know that that is the the vibe they set out to right. create. But I think yoga's perception in and of itself inadvert- that in the inter- Inadvertently yeah. or not, even yeah. if it's inadvertent, you got to figure that out. Right. So inadvertently or not, it's there. And it's yes. the job of every teacher, studio owner, whatever, to be like, why is, like, how am I knowingly or not cultivating a space mm-hmm. where only conventionally able-bodied, non-disabled, skinny, non-racialized, whatever, people are showing up? So. Yeah. If you see that happening in your space, yeah, what can you, you need to, to change at, it? And yes, you need to look at what are the barriers that are keeping others out of. And, and space. you know what? Maybe sometimes there's nothing that someone can do to change it because maybe it's the demographics of where they live, or maybe. And the the larger question for me is. How did we get to a place where people who use a mobility aid, whether it's a wheelchair or something else, what is that large scale perception? What is that systemic Mm -hmm. problem that Mm -hmm. predates Mm -hmm. this yoga studio Mm -hmm. I happen to be frequenting now? What Mm -hmm. is the systemic? Because me showing up there and taking up space is phenomenal. It's more than a massive first step. More than. Right. Right. But there's, I don't know, I'm making up a, a number, a smallish number. There's five other me's who are yeah, in the sense of they might use some type of mobility device as well. Maybe not the same, but, you know, roughly that are not yeah. going to show up there. So oh, yeah. how does the systemic problem get solved? And like, I'm, I feel like I'm about to touch the stove here, but it's okay. It's what I do sort of, but um, <laughs> and, 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 I touch the stove too often. Recent, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, conversation I had with someone, they said to me, and this was also like a, a real eye opener and um, a very powerful thing for me to think about. And I, I took it as a complimentary thing. They said, you take your work seriously, but not yourself. And that's, and mm-hmm. I liked that there was that balance there. I thought, oh, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a good thing. That's something I want to, yeah be more, be more mindful of, be more attentive to. Yeah. But 
So I feel like I'm about to touch the stove here. Sorry, you can just edit this part out, but (laughs) (laughs) too much controversy. But this idea of, you know, um, that's so hotly debated, particularly with our neighbors to the south, about um, affirmative action, right? Oh, interesting. And and allowing racialized students um, to, to into particularly particular four-year colleges or universities, particularly in the Ivy League, right? Yeah. And listen, I'm someone who, without fully understanding it and and maybe never being able to fully understand it, despite my best efforts, think that it's a Mm -hmm. great and powerful and not to mention necessary thing. Well, equalization has to start somewhere. Somewhere. Equity has to start somewhere. And the people who have the biggest problem with affirmative action don't understand who's benefited the most Correct. from affirmative action. Not not, a- not necessarily people who look like me, but white women. Exactly. Exactly. So someone like me is going to really score in that situation, yeah. right? Yeah. But assuming yeah. it was applied correctly and what I would like to believe yes. was its intended application, I yes. think it's hugely important. And it, it's a start, yes. but it lights me yes. absolutely on fire. It makes me crazy. Mm. See, I keep using that word. I'm sorry if that, I'm that's sorry. okay. You're a therapist. You get to use it when you're applying it to yourself. Well, okay. right? Yeah, but it's still a word I should probably be more mindful of. But um, absolutely, me too. I'm yeah. Working on it. We're working We're on it. Working We're working things, progress, right? And there's some work yeah. all the time. It's so many things to keep track, track of. of all the things, but it. It lights me on fire and makes me bananas is what I'll say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I use that a lot. Makes me bananas that, forget arguing that, leave, leave that alone. When applied correctly, that yeah. is a necessary tool. And everything yeah. in our possession is just a tool to to get us to our next right thing, our greatest good, right? Yes. But I cannot stand when then there's no follow-up conversation about why affirmative action is needed in the first place. Because affirmative yes. action will not resolve why the issue. Yeah. marginalized students, whether they're marginalized due to race or socioeconomic status or a combination of myriad of factors. Yeah. Why they're not getting a seat at the table or the opportunity to have a seat at the table in the first place. Affirmative action is a, a plug in the hole of a leaky bucket. But what yes. are you going to do about the rain that keeps coming down? Only people, <laughs> right? Exactly. So I exactly. don't think you can have one without the other meaningfully. The other. But yeah, Agreed. leave something alone. Like leave something Um, And the one last anecdote that I wanted to touch on before I get to your question about intentional well-being, because it just plays into so much with what we've been talking about, about construction of who we are, who we are told we are versus, Mm -hmm. and listen, I'm the one who made the point and will continue to make it probably for my whole life that sometimes we have to um, come to know who we are through the people who love us and who we trust the most because they hold up a mirror. They hold up a mirror. And if we've covered over ourselves with that thin layer of crap, we need someone to sort of start (laughs) with the light shining to get back to our own light. Right. So I don't want to take anything away from that earlier point, but 
one of the things that I was told at a very young age was that I had a congenital neuromuscular disorder. It had a particular name. I'm not going to say it now. Flash forward, they didn't have genetic testing when I was born in 1980. Flash forward 32 years, I'm at a hospital in Hamilton meeting with a neuromuscular doctor. And he's asking me about my activities of daily living and I'm telling him. And he's like, oh no, you can't do that. Do that. You have this condition. Let's call it condition X just for this. Okay. For reference. Yeah. Um, and I was like, cause he, this doctor's looking at my file, right. And condition, condition X was listed there. Wasn't looking at me, wasn't hearing me, was, uh, listening to respond, not to understand all of the above, not to actually hear. Um, so 45 minutes go by, I'm in tears at this point. Yeah. Um, he tells me. I, I think I've shared this with you privately before, Diane, but um, it's about to go public now. Um, and I'm um, something of a hypochondriac because when I was a child, all I ever heard people say to my parents, people being doctors, say, well, she looks healthy. And in my child brain, that meant that I was supposed to look sick. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and that bred this sort of hypochondria uh, in me. So... I have that in my head when I'm with this doctor. And like I said, 45 minutes go by. I'm in tears at this point. And I said, just give it to me straight. Tell me about my lifespan. Like, am I oh. going to, you know, perish like any moment now? And he's like, right. no. He's like, this condition X doesn't affect that. And I'm like, dodge that bullet. Okay. Then right, he's like, well, right. unless you get pneumonia or something, then you're, you're going to be gone for sure. Cause your lung, and this is how he said it. Right. Just like that? Like you're not a human being sitting in front of I think them? there was some neurodivergence going on with this doctor. Far be it from I've met a few of them. Uh, but as a physician, I would think that part of your training, part of the responsibility of training is to maybe develop some bedside manner. But that didn't seem fair. So now I start to cry harder. And then I said, but wait, I've, I've had walking pneumonia and I'm still... Well, yeah, like here. So I don't get, and then it was like a light bulb went off for this man. And he's like, Oh, you don't have condition X. You have condition Y or Z. And I'm sitting there thinking, so now I'm like this fun little science experiment to him. And he wants me to go on a breathing machine where I ended up in the 96th percentile. And I'm like in your face. you? Yes, exactly. Uh, Thank you very much. But now much. he wants to do genetic testing and I'm just like this fun little thing for, and I did not pursue the genetic testing. And the reason I didn't is because words on that page in my file told him everything he thought he needed to know about me without listening to me. Mm. And so I think it's as important as language is, as important of a tool as it is, it is just that. It is just a tool. It does not right. tell the full picture of our lives. Right. Of who we are. Of how of we, how show, we up show up. And so we have to be very careful when we're ascribing anything, diagnoses, labels, uh, value judgments, whatever, to other yes. people. And we have to be intentional 
with how we speak and not just how we speak, with how we think about people. Because I, I don't know, you're, I'm sure lots of your listeners and probably you too are familiar with Glennon Doyle, the author. Yes. yes and I get, yes, you know, there's yes. complications of that as well. But one thing she said when everything was going on with um, Ye or Kanye, whatever he's called, and Kim K put out a statement that said, um, hate speech is wrong. And so Glennon Doyle that went on the pod, went on um, uh, Instagram and said, it's always interesting to me when people say that hate speech is wrong because it's not the speaking of the hate, hate, it's the having of the hate hate. that's the wrong. And she's like, either way, I have to agree. S hate speech, whether it's hidden on the outside or revealed on the inside. Right. And so. Yes. Yes. Staying away from hate speech, staying away from speech that is negative or devaluing and connotes whether you're hiding it on the inside or speaking it on the outside, F that noise and be really mindful yes. about intentional yes. about what you're doing. So after getting us off track, sorry about that. That's but those okay. are important things we needed to touch on. Come on. How often am I going to get to be here? I got to get it all out right now. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but you asked me about intentional movement and intentional well-being and what that means to me. And I realized I was practicing it long before I had conscious awareness or language of what I was doing. It started with that question. It started with emailing you. It started with practicing with you. Um, Mm -hmm. It started with um, going to a gym, even though I'm like, I'm just going to go to the women's only section because. Yeah. But it started somewhere. That was. Yeah. It started with nothing wrong. Letting you shove me to the front of a hot room and be like, this is where you're going. Shove is a particular word. I would like to say guy. It was a metaphor. Metaphor. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, guide me to the front of the room is an actual more accurate word. Talk about being intentional in mind language. But but now (sighs) in this fourth decade of my life and being Mm -hmm. conscious about um, intentional well-being and intentional movement. Um, and for me, those things mean allowing my body to do what it is telling me that it needs to do, including rest. Rest. Oh my God. We have been, we have been as a society, right? Just like driving the car with the engine light on saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And we're driving at full speed toward the edge of a cliff with the engine light on going, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. How many times have you said, I'll sleep when I'm dead? That is a saying that I've said a lot in my lifetime. Oh, yes. I don't use that saying that much again because I'm a hypochondriac. So I'm like, like that. Sure, sure. (laughs) No, but. But, yeah. but in a different form or fashion, I've said or thought the exact same thing, right? Like for sure. Yeah. But and it's part of developing patience as I get older, which is a struggle for me. And it's part of also realizing change is not this grand sweeping thing. It's the micro pivots you make every day to the direction you mm. want to go in to your next right thing, right? So. I love that. Intentional well-being for me on some days, it's a full-blown workout. 
it's like an hour, mm -hmm. head down, mm -hmm. weights on, mm -hmm. cycle going, whatever. Get it in there, get her done, feel awesome. Sometimes it's a yoga practice. Sometimes it's breathing yeah. and meditation. Sometimes it's just other days, it's just like, my leg is uncomfortable. I'm going to move it an yeah. inch this way. Like, why am I an inch from comfortable? That doesn't seem right, right? Like, Right. And yeah. More days than not now, I was like never a napper. And I realized now that it's not that I didn't nap because I wasn't tired. I was freaking tired all the time. I was like, oh my God, like just keep the engine running, you know, even though the light's on. Like right. You said. So now some days intentional well being is a rest, an actual nap, yeah. an actual glass of water. Like a lot of times, yeah. sometimes I just need to drink. I'm just thirsty. Right. And we just, this is my two gallon you jug of water. your whole hydration so station right there. I see. Love it. I do. And because I'm bad at not drinking water and my skin dries out, I become like a, like just like a piece of gotcha. weave. So, so I think intentional well-being is being aware of what my body and also what my spirit and also what my, not my monkey mind, but my wise mind is telling me what to do. And being in alignment as much as I can with all of those three things. So intentional well-being and, and movement to me is different things on, on different days. Which is beautiful. I loved our conversation today. You. you just are such a light and a spirit. I'm grateful we're we friends. We have to... We have to get together and do our sweet Georgia Ray uh, okay. chicken sandwiches Once again. Once we're off the podcast, yes. we'll make a plan. We'll make a plan. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go. We all have to go. I This year, I've been less inclined to go outside just because it's been wet, damp, and gray. So I've been getting a lot of my intentional movement, you know, on the indoors. I've been going to the gym like you and riding uh, my bike, who I call Spinderella. I love that. We have a relationship relationship her and I um but yeah we need to get Done. back together and I want to thank you for being a special part of my life and coming on the podcast and sharing your story sharing your thought sharing your vision and sharing your spirit thank you to Christine Qualia uh, co-author of course co-author of Charlotte Shadow if you haven't had a chance to pick it up you can get this book on Amazon to my American friends it is very affordable and very necessary so make sure you buy more than one copy today's podcast is sponsored by my Patreon account so if you want to hear the preamble the pre-show in which uh in which Christine and I talk about a lot of things. Stay tuned. You can catch that on Patreon. And a big shout out to my producer, Nicole, who edits these podcasts and makes them beautiful for everybody. And once again, thank you everyone for listening. Please make sure that you are being intentional with your well-being. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Thank you.